0: Open your Bibles again to John chapter 18, and let's look at just the 11th verse this time. We will not be as long this time as we were the first time in this chapter this morning, but I want to focus on this 11th verse and the second half of the 11th verse. John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Jesus wanted to drink it. Peter, in ignorance, was trying to keep him from drinking it. And we better thank God that he drank it. Because our salvation depends upon it. We observe the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, and it's our duty and our privilege to remember his death. Our Lord Jesus Christ drank the bitterest cup of the wrath of God for our sins so that we do not have to do so. And he used this expression, this metaphor of a cup, and we want to look at that for a few minutes. We will briefly consider a legendary cup, the Holy Grail or Holy Chalice of Roman Catholicism and related fables, the literal cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper and its contents of the fruit of the vine, the metaphorical cup of the covenant that we have because of that death, the metaphorical covenant, the cup of his sufferings, the metaphorical cup of his sufferings, and then the metaphorical cup of salvation. We want to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord chose this metaphor right here, John 18, verse 11, second half, the cup. Which my Father hath given me. Now, Jesus didn't have a literal cup. It was a metaphorical cup referring to the judgment and punishment that he would take and then death for our sins. Shall I not drink it? Yes, Lord. Thank you for wanting to drink that cup. Amen. A cup of wrath in the Bible refers loosely to a cup of poison that that a person had to drink, either in ignorance or as a punishment, and it would be forced down their throats that would take their lives. A cup of poison. And we want to look at these cups. First of all, let's get this legendary cup out of the way. Now, if I were to ask you, does the Bible have a cup in it that refers to the Roman Catholic legendary cup that Joseph of Arimathea picked up from the Last Supper and took and caught the blood of Jesus as it ran from his body on the cross. Is there any reference to that in the Bible? For those of you that have been to a mass, does the priest hold up a chalice, a golden chalice? And in the past, he drank all the wine that was in that chalice. Now he shares a little bit of it. Are you familiar with that, holding up that chalice? It's a big part of their mass. Look at Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. We have a picture here in the first six verses of the Roman Catholic Church being a woman dressed like a whore, a harlot, a prostitute, riding on the back of the Roman Empire into power. Verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This is the Roman Empire. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, those are the colors of Rome, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And he saw her as a mystery, a, ca- a Christian church that was the enemy of Christians. And her for- on her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots, and Abominations of the Earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Well, here's a reference to a cup of the Roman Catholic Church. Her colors are mentioned, her jewels and bedecking, the triple tiara of the popes is an incredible item, and they have a number of them, but here's the golden chalice of the Roman Catholic Church in Revelation 17, 4. Verse 6 of chapter 18, reward her even as she has rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. What she's done to others in filling her cup with the blood of the martyrs, double it back to her. Well, here's a chalice. It's a legendary chalice. Joseph of Arimathea did not go to the Last Supper and find the cup that Jesus used and all the disciples used and then catch the dripping blood of Jesus from the cross. So we can just ignore that one, but I want you to know that it's in the Bible that hundreds of years in advance, God the Holy Spirit gave John a vision of a woman, which represents a church, with scarlet and purple being her colors, which are the colors of Rome, and her jewels and her chalice, which is a cup, a golden chalice, a golden cup. And for those that have been to a Mass, you have seen the preeminence that that cup has when he puts the big host and raises it up and, and it goes through all the things that the, the priests of Rome do. So we can forget that one, but we can know that The Lord had already seen it happening by prophecy to our brother John. Let's come now. We know that there's a literal cup. Look at Matthew chapter 26, a literal cup that held the fruit of the vine for the Last Supper. (coughs) Anyone that feels a need to cough in this service, you are entirely entitled to do so. And I don't mean to be foolish. Lord, forgive me. I'm highly medicated. And I've got sanitizer up here before I touch your communion. But I love these subjects. And I want to be here. And if I'm not in bed, I'm going to be here or close to it. The cup. Matthew 26 and verse 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. Drink ye all of it. Everyone was supposed to participate in drinking the cup, which the Roman Catholic Church didn't do until the last couple of decades. And that's in verse 27. So that's a literal cup that held literal contents, and the contents were the fruit of the vine as it's described in various places. Then there is a metaphorical cup referring to the covenant of redemption. Remember the Bible in Hebrews chapter 9, and, and we can approach this various ways, but in Hebrews 9, our salvation is described as the last will and testament of God. And the last will and testament is when a father with his estate assigns it to his beneficiaries, usually his children, and in this case, his children. He assigns it, but it doesn't go in and he signs it. It's a a written statement. This house, this property, these cars, these bank accounts go to these people in this proportion. And he signs it. And that's his last will and testament to transfer his estate to another, usually sons, usually children. For that to happen the father has to die. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper held by a trustee somewhere waiting for the father to die. Well, if God made a covenant like that and said, heaven and earth, new heaven and new earth, eternal life, justification, eternal redemption, joint heirs with my son, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, listing all those things, it can only go into force if God were to die. Well, how can God die? God died through the Lord Jesus Christ right. and put that covenant into force. And it's described that way in Hebrews 9. Now in Hebrews 8, that was referred to by Eric, Jeremiah 31.3 said there would be a new covenant made with the house of Israel because the first covenant didn't work. And so we come to the next verse in Matthew chapter 26. It's verse 28. Except the word cup isn't here in this particular case. For this is my blood of the New Testament, that is covenant. Because the word testament is another word for covenant. This is my blood of the New Testament or covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Because our sins were put away, justification given to us, adoption accomplished, and heaven transferred to us by title. We own the universe. We own the universe by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that put that covenant into force. And so the Bible describes it that way. And so that is a metaphorical cup representing the covenant because the fruit of the vine that was in it, the red blood that was represented by that cup is what put that into force by Jesus dying for us. Him shedding his blood, losing his life, and it put it into force. So we're through three cups. The legendary cup, the the legendary cup of Rome, their chalice, mentioned in the Bible by prophecy which we just totally disregard and deny as having no value whatsoever. And communion never turns the wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It's still wine. Then there is the literal cup holding the contents of that wine. And then there is a metaphorical cup representing the death that put the everlasting covenant into force. So we come to the fourth cup this is the cup that I want to, this is the cup of John 18:11, the fourth cup. The fourth cup is the wrath of God. Look at Matthew chapter 20. You're, you're close to it, Matthew chapter 20. Lord, keep this simple for us, and yet make it profound. The cup. Lord, let us see the cup that the Lord Jesus Christ drank. and give thanks for it. and remember His death and the cup that he drank by his death. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of the apostles of Jesus, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. <coughs> and when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. So here's a cup mentioned. And this, this mother wanted her two sons, James and John, to have elevated positions in the kingdom of heaven of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Can, you don't know what you're asking really. Can they drink the cup that I have to drink? And that cup is the cup of the suffering under the wrath of God. And they said they were able, but their ability showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't it? They ran in the other directions to get away from that mob. Yet, they did drink that cup. How far do you have to go in Acts before you run into one of those brothers drinking that cup? Chapter 12. All you have to do is read to Acts chapter 12, and James drinks that cup. They did drink it, and Jesus said, ye shall indeed drink it. But I want you to understand that this is the cup of the wrath of God. Look at Mark chapter 10. I think it's going to be the same thing, so let's just ignore that. Let's go to Matthew 26 and verse 36. Matthew 26, and now Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, which John did not tell us about. But we have the reference to the cup in John eighteen eleven. But there was some negotiating going on, some reasoning, some agonizing. He was in an agony. The Bible tells us about this cup that was coming toward him. Matthew chapter twenty six and verse thirty six. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, there's the cup drinkers, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther, about a stone's throw, the Bible tells us, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, If it be possible, let this cup, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he does it again in 42, and he does it again in 44. He does this three times. Now, just hours before this, he had the literal cup, the literal cup at the Last Supper. Now, this is a metaphorical cup that he knows he's about to drink, And he's asking the father if there might be a way to avoid drinking it and look at the effect on him of just thinking about drinking it. Look at that effect. Verse 38, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. In verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. It was crushing him the thought of what was about to come, and he called it a cup. Our, third cu- our, our uh, fourth cup, the cup of the wrath of God in the punishment of our sins. And this is recorded in Mark and Luke as well. Let's go look at the origin of the use of cup as a metaphor back in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 49, and there's other verses that we could look at, but we'll look at a few just to see that this was a biblical, a spiritual use of cup relative to poison that you drank when it was the wrath of judgment upon a person. And so this cup is the wrath of God's judgment. Jeremiah 49, which is the judgment of nations, verse 12, For thus saith the Lord, Behold, they whose judgment was Not to drink of the cup, have assuredly drunken. And art thou he that shall altogether go unpunished? Thou shalt not go unpunished, but thou shalt surely drink of it. You know, they in their minds thought that they could protect their nation and not suffer under the wrath and judgment of God, and they didn't think they were going to have to drink of that cup. But God said, You will drink of it, and God made them drink of it, the poison of his judgment on these nations. That's Jeremiah. Let's come over to Ezekiel chapter 23. Ezekiel chapter 23. Drinking a cup in the Bible is a metaphor of judgment. And it's God's wrath. And do you know what God did to some of these nations? He tore them to shreds and leveled them. And it's the wrath of God called a cup that he made them drink. Ezekiel 23 and verse 32. Thus saith the Lord God, Thou shalt drink of thy sister's cup deep and large. Thou shalt be laughed to scorn and had in derision. It containeth much. Listen to that. The judgment of God upon Judah, the sister being Samaria or the 10 tribes. Do you see what I did to them? Look what I'm going to do to you. I am going to make you drink of the cup of my wrath and judgment. It's going to be deep and large. You're going to be laughed to scorn and had in derision the way I'm going to do it. It containeth much. This is God's description of a cup of wrath that he was going to make Judah drink. Let's go to Obadiah. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Obadiah. Is the burden of Eden, Edom, Esau's descendants, God's judgment upon them? Obadiah and verse 16 For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. What had happened here? When Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews captive to Babylon, the surrounding nations, especially Edom, Jacob and Esau, Jacob's descendants were captive in Babylon, 500 miles away. Esau's descendants, Edom, thought they would take advantage of the Jews being out of that beautiful holy land around Jerusalem and Judea. And so they took advantage of it with their brother gone. And this is God's judgment upon the Edomites that did that, for as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, you went up onto Mount Zion, you went into the city of Jerusalem, so shall all the heathen drink continually, yea, you you and everyone around you that participated in that defiling of my country is going to drink the cup of my wrath. Look at Lamentations, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, it's between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Lamentations chapter 4, I enjoy getting the Lord's own definition and explanation and severity of his cup. 4.21 Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwellest in the land of Uz. The cup also shall pass through unto thee. Thou shalt be drunken, and thou shalt make thyself naked. He is going to destroy the Edomites by his judgment. The cup of wine in the Lord's hand is for the wicked to drink entirely. Look at Psalm 78. Psalm 78. This is here a little, there a little in the Word of God, comparing Scripture with Scripture, for you to appreciate the cup that Jesus drank. Look at these nations that were promised that they would have to drink, that it was deep and it was full of stuff against them. Mm -hmm. Psalm 75 and verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. Look at that Lord. That is the Lord God, Jehovah, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture. And he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. There's judgment, and then there's judgment. And he's going to pour this out, and judge all nations, but the wicked, the most profanely wicked, would suffer the most by having to drink the dregs of it. Back in the day, they didn't have the refining and carefully filtering processes that we do, and so there were dregs or bitter pieces left at the bottom of a cup, and they would have to drink them. For instance, the difference in the Jews. The Jews sinned against God and His Son Jesus Christ worse than other nations, so their tribulation was described in the Bible as being the worst since the history of the world, and it would never be that bad again for any people. And that's like this verse is describing the wicked that are profanely wicked like the Jews would have to take the dregs of the wine. Verse Chapter 11 and verse 6. Psalm 11 and verse 6. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Psalm 11:6. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Let's come over to Revelation now and look at God's wrath in the New Testament, still described as a cup in chapter 14. Revelation 14. Did you detect any love for Roman Catholicism or its adherents in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? You're not going to detect any here. Listen to this. Revelation 14 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, pagan and papal Rome, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. There is nothing to dilute it into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name that is horrible language in revelation 14:9 through 11 it's horrible language but it is summarized partly as a cup there in verse 10 the same shall drink there's drinking of a beverage, the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. So God is indignant against sin. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And the, he's got to pour out his wrath on us little rebels who have stood up on our hind legs and cursed the living God that created us in Eden and chosen our own way in the earth. He did it once with a flood of water. He's going to come back and do it with a flood of fire and overwhelm the universe, and it's all going to melt with fervent heat. But this is the fourth cup, and it's God's wrath. Let's see if we can go over to chapter 19 and find a reference there as well. Revelation chapter 19. This is worded just a little differently. We don't have the word cup, but we've got the wine from the wine press. Revelation 19 and verse 15. This is the Lord Jesus Christ seen in glory and coming in judgment. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So there's a judgment coming on this world that's called the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and Jesus Christ treads that winepress by causing it to happen upon the earth in judgment it's not called a cup here it's just called wine but we understand that it belongs in the cup of God's wrath look at Isaiah 51 Isaiah 51 you better thank the God of heaven that he sent his son to drink that cup for you or we'll drink it for eternity. How much rest do you get day and night? None. None. Isaiah 51 and verse 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. Every bit. They, though they tried to pour it through a cloth... To get the dregs out of it, they had to wring out the cloth and eat the dregs and drink the dregs anyway. They drank it all. The cup of trembling and the wrath and of his, the cup of his fury. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The cup of his fury. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The cup of his fury. look at verse 22. "Thus saith the Lord, Thus saith thy Lord, the Lord, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of His people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury, thou shalt no more drink it again. Amen. Thank you, blessed God, for doing that for us with the Lord Jesus Christ. It pleased Jehovah God to bruise His son by torture and death, for our sins. And that's recorded in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And that was the cup of his arrest, the mocking at his trial, his scourging, his crucifixion, and his death on the cross. He drank the cup that we should have drank. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we don't have to bear them. We get to drink a cup in just a few minutes. We get to drink a cup that is so peaceful and so gentle and remember that he drank a very different kind of a cup for us. And so when we take this cup today, we want to remember the cup that he drank in our place. The cup that in John chapter 18 and verse 11, he stopped Peter and said, Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. The cup, which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? when he was confronted by Zebedee's son's mother, we hope that it might be Zebedee's wife, he said, are ye able to drink the cup that I'm able? They said, we are able. He had prefaced his remarks by saying, ye know not what ye ask. You do not know what you're talking about, and you do not know the difficulty of this situation. You shall indeed drink that cup. And James drank it in Acts chapter 12, as I've mentioned. Jesus Christ was ordained to die for us, and it was to drink the cup of God's wrath. God's fury, God's wrath, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Well, if God hates all workers of iniquity, I have worked iniquity, God must hate me. No, you were chosen in Christ Jesus before the world began by everlasting covenant that he would drink the fury of God's wrath for you so that you wouldn't have to drink it. So that it says in Hebrews, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more because of Jesus Christ. God doesn't see my sins and iniquities when he looks at me. And he, w- he doesn't see them now. He won't see them then because Jesus Christ drank the cup. His wrath for my sins, Jesus drank every drop of it. Right. If there was one drop left in the cup of God's fury, it would damn the entire human race to eternal torment in hell forever. One drop of God's wrath. He drank it all. He drank the dregs he took the bitterness of it. He didn't want any dilution. He didn't want any protection. He didn't ask angels to mitigate it. He went forth into the garden and he said, cuff me and let's get this show on the road. He told Judas, go do what you need to do. Let's get going. Our Savior drank a cup for us. We could talk more about that cup, but let me just point this out. And Brethren, this this would take a great deal of time, and I hope that you might take a look at some of the outlines that have this on our website. What was in the cup? It was a blend. Four wines of the fury of God. Are you with me now? Those of you that have been with me for a while? Four kinds of wrath of God came upon Jesus Christ, the physical aspects of his crucifixion, which were the least, the psychological, non-physical elements of his sufferings that we generally neglect, the spiritual conflict that he had with the devil and his angels, and the divine consequences of guilt and shame for our sins by being forsaken by his Father. A blend of four wines, physical, psychological, spiritual, divine, in a glass, the cup of God's fury. He couldn't even look on his son and our Savior drained it. I could keep you going from now until six with no problem. I have pages and some of you have seen these pages before. The physical agony. He was scourged, crown of thorns driven into his head, beard plucked off, face beaten by the hands and fists of Roman soldiers, kept up all night without sleep by torture, was forced to carry his own cross, emotionally abused all night and mocked, nails driven through tender hands and feet, suspended on that cross with the nails used, supporting his entire body's weight, extremely thirsty from the hours of trial and torture and fluid loss of the crucifixion, fully conscious of pain by rejecting the vinegar sedative offered before the cross." And though those things I just listed very quickly are horrific, other men have suffered similarly in terrible accidents or atrocities in life. But then there's the psychological. By psychological agony, we mean the grief and pain of emotional and personal tribulation. He was pained in his soul with knowledge of the future. This sorrow increased in Gethsemane until he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was neglected in that the disciples did not discern the hypocrisy and treachery of Judas. His honored disciples slept instead of responding to his requests for alertness and prayer. One of his closest friends betrayed him by a kiss for 30 pieces of silver, a slave's price. Efforts were not made to lose lives to save his, as secret service agents are willing to do for natural men that are their presidents. He was forsaken by all his followers in his hour of need. There was no rebellion in Jerusalem for him. He was ridiculed, mocked, and tortured about his identity with clear evidence available, and on and on and on and on we could go just for category number two, which is wine number two in the blend of the cup of the fury of God's wrath against the Lord Jesus Christ. Third wine, the spiritual agony. Most Christians miss Satan's devilish attack against him in an invisible spiritual conflict. If we are warned about our fight is not with flesh and blood, but about spiritual wickedness. What in the world did Jesus Christ go through? The conflict from the Garden of Eden, bruising his heel and Jesus bruising his head. We are ignorant of the conflict between spirits in high places that Daniel and Jude and Revelation tell us about. We do not respect Satan if God looses him. But what he can, when God looses Satan, do you read about the hurricanes and the armies that came in Job chapters 1 and 2? Just like that? Satan wanted the Lord Jesus Christ, and he got him. For a little while. Until our Savior drank the entire cup of the fury of God's wrath. Satan's devils are the most unified and efficient hostile force in the universe. There's no division in that camp. Animosity and conflict between Satan and Jesus was prophesied as early as Genesis 3. As soon as the Lord Jesus was born, Satan was there to devour him. Revelation chapter 12, and what he did to Herod in killing the babies around Bethlehem. And on and on, it, on and on it goes. Psalm 22, Jesus crying on the cross, Deliver my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. The lion's mouth. Deliver my darling from the power of the singular dog. Devils have no pity. They did not consider him. They did not comfort him. They tortured him. They wanted to do to him a million times more than they did to Judas Iscariot. Look what they did to Judas Iscariot. The spiritual agony, that's the third wine. The fourth wine, the most horrific suffering of all was God's rejection of Jesus Christ for our many sins. Since we are far too physically oriented and worldly minded, we may not even appreciate this one like we should. But when Psalm 22 opens, it opens with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It doesn't open up with, I'm bleeding, I'm bruised, my joints are being pulled apart. That comes later in Psalm 22. But it opens with the divine separation between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was fully God and fully man in a combined union beyond our full grasp. We did not exercise ourselves in matters too high for us. This means that he had a full human nature, including the spirit soul part of us, but he also had the divine nature and the fellowship that he had with God was ripped asunder. He still had faith in God that if he would finish his will and give up his life on the cross, he could commend his spirit into God's hands and his spirit would be with the Lord. That's why he could tell the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He had the faith for it, but there wasn't fellowship with God and thus the my God, my God statements that we have in prophecy and fulfilled in the gospel accounts. We have to here admit Paul's description of the incarnation is a great mystery, Of the Lord Jesus Christ being separated from his Father. He shall see of the travail of his soul. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And God would see the travail of Jesus Christ's soul and be satisfied. Why? Because he drank every drop. If he had left one drop in the cup, he wouldn't have been satisfied with what his son did for him because there would still be wrath that was burning against sin. And just a little of God's wrath burning against sin is enough to take care of all of us for eternity. No man has ever had a relationship with God like Jesus of Nazareth did. He had always pleased God in all things, and God was happy to acknowledge that in very public demonstrations of his approval of his son, and now it was gone. And so I give you, I give you the Lord Jesus Christ and the cup that he drank. Many martyrs, many martyrs died more painful and longer physical deaths, but with joy and singing from God. For their fellowship with God, so far from being lessened, was rather increased and strengthened. More could be said, Peter, put that sword back in its sheath. The cup that my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? What a Savior, what a Savior. Give me that poison cuff me. He went forth. Lead me to the cross so that he could drink the cup of God's wrath. Psalm 116 and verse 13 says that we get to drink the cup of salvation. And you know there really is a sixth cup, and it's the one that we have right down here that we're going to partake of, and it's to look back at the cup that Jesus drank that was literal, the covenant cup that was metaphorical, the cup of suffering. The suffering was very real, but the cup just described those four kinds of wine poured in a glass that he drank at all. But we'll take a cup, we'll remember his covenant, we'll remember his last supper, we'll remember his physical sufferings, we'll remember his other sufferings and that he did all of that so that we could drink from the cup of salvation, and we shall drink from the cup of salvation for the rest of eternity. Thank you, blessed God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.